Welcome to Mental Millennials with your host, Shelby Friesen. Today we've got Ed Blunderfield on the podcast and we've been working together for about, I'd say for six, eight months now. Yeah, I think so. Um, haven't known you for a super long time, <laughs> but we've got to know each other quite well. Um, and usually this is going the other way. Usually you're the one who's asking me all the questions. That's right. So today we'll get to do a little bit of a reverse here. A role reversal. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Ed's been life coaching me for about six months. And I, I guess to start, one of the main questions that I get a lot when people start to realize or when they first hear that I have a life coach or someone's helping me with my life, um, they want to know like, oh, well, what's his background? What has he done? Um, mm -hmm. How is he able to do that? Uh, so I think that would be a really good place to start. Um and I haven't even really asked you that. I kind of just, we worked together. Everything was good. I just didn't really ask. I didn't care. I just was enjoying it. So mm -hmm. I'd like, I even me, I'd like to hear a little bit more about it. So, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You were asking earlier, like, how old are you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how old I am. Uh, well, I'm 30 years old. I just turned 30 in December. Okay. And, um, I mean, we'll probably over the course of this, like uncover the story a little bit more, but, mm -hmm. uh, this kind of work is something that I've always wanted to do because it was, it was the kind of relationship that I was looking for when I was younger. Um, I graduated from university at UBC and went right out to Toronto to start my career in management consulting mm -hmm. back in 2012. And um, six months into that job, I was a wreck. I, I, I was really unhappy. It was this dream job. I had worked so hard to, to kind of land this, this job opportunity um, and, and everyone around me was going after the same thing. This is like a highly sought after business school type job. Right. And, uh, six months into landing that job and being there working, I was totally lost. I was so unhappy. It was, it was not what I expected it to be. Um, and I was going through my own depression at that time. And, uh, you know, it, it took me so long to, uh, reach out for help and, and, you know, to a human to ask someone, just to talk mm -hmm. and, and have an opportunity to share my story. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, a, a lot of things happened uh, along the way to getting there, to finally reaching out for help. But I think the, to connect the story to like sort of how I got to where I am today and what I'm doing, um, it was when I finally reached out and actually started working with someone that I realized like, wow, mm -hmm. there's so much power and so much potential in these types of relationships, these sort of therapeutic coaching, supportive relationships. Uh, so having felt the impact of that, I think I, that, that, that was a major shift in my career where I went like, wow, if I could play this kind of role in other people's <laughs> lives, like that would be amazing. Um, so that's, that's sort of where it comes from. And, uh, um, but then how, how it works and how I'm qualified to do that at yeah. 30 years old, yeah. is like a whole other, a whole other story. Yeah. Um, well for, for the background part, um, I guess what for the expectation thing, what did you expect it was going to be? Like, where were you working? So I was working at the Boston Consulting Group, BCG. Okay. Which is a, a management consulting firm in Toronto. Yeah. And it was obviously very corporate. Super corporate. Yeah. Okay. Ivory tower type. Yeah. Vision, you know, <laughs> like upper floors of the most expensive office buildings in downtown Toronto. And what, what was like the vibes and stuff like in there? Um, 
Well, it's, it's so interesting, right? Because I was 21 years old or 22 okay. years old graduating from university. And uh, every year at, at a couple different hiring windows, this sort of swarm of young, impressionable, super ambitious 21-year-olds come in from different universities around the country, around North America, and they start in these entry-level roles in these fancy consulting firms. And, um, and, and, and so you're entering into a culture that is already established by, um, you know, a bunch of people that are older than you that have been working in the firm doing this kind of work for several years. And uh, the vibe, I guess, is one of, like, work hard, play hard, mm -hmm. I think is one way to describe it. Um, you get there and, and it's serious work. You've got serious corporate clients, super demanding hours, big mm -hmm. expectations. Uh, and I think to kind of counterbalance some of the stress and intensity of the work, there's very much a culture of, of celebration of, you know, going mm -hmm. out of, 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 you know, drinking and eating well and um, sort of celebrating that aspect of life. So it's sort of a, uh, it's a, it's a hardcore, it's an intense, it's an intense vibe. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> to say the least, yeah. And what was your first position there? Like, what were you doing? So I was a, an associate. Each firm has a slightly different title, but I was an associate at BCG. Um, and so you are there to support, you, you basically come in and you'll, you'll get staffed, they call it, to a certain case team. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, you know, BCG would get hired by one of the major banks, for example, or a major oil and gas company or a major construction firm. And there'd be a, you know, a project sort of outlined. There'd be a kind of a goal of the project, maybe to reduce costs in a certain area, make a certain part of the business more efficient, you know, find a new revenue stream and grow a certain part of the business. And then BCG would basically staff up a team of consultants of different levels of seniority, uh, maybe a couple of these junior associates, a few of the more senior consultants, and then some like higher level principals or project leaders, they call them. And you go in as this SWAT team basically and execute on this project and try and mm -hmm. deliver on the, the client company's goals. Okay. And those can last anywhere from like literally two weeks. You could have a, we, we call them due diligences. These like really super intense two weeks. You're working hundred hour weeks and you're just crushing this project. Mm-hmm right through to two year long mega cases yeah. that, you know, roll over people, people get hired by the BCG and, and maybe let go or they leave before that project's even over. Mm -hmm. they're, they're so massive. Um, so all different types of project lengths. And as an associate, basically in the role I was in, you are, you're doing research, you're building Excel models, you're building PowerPoint presentations to try and tell a story to the client mm -hmm. based on the findings that you, you, you discover in research. Mm -hmm. It's a real like um, you're so so you're quite involved. You're not like the office coffee boy. No, yeah, okay. that's the, that's kind of the cool thing. Yeah, I definitely did get coffee for people <laughs> several times. Um, you are yeah, you know, the lowest on the totem pole, mm -hmm. but um, it's not. It, yeah, you, you get you kind of get right into the weeds of it, which is which is actually a pretty cool thing about. about yeah, I was gonna say I feel like some people will go to school for all these jobs, and then you go and get like the office helper job at this big firm and you're not actually really working with anybody. You're just kind of like doing yeah. all the bullshit for them. Yeah. Whereas like that sounds actually cool because you get to really work as a team with some of those upper people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You'll be sitting right next to sometimes the most senior people uh, in the firm. Sometimes mm -hmm. like these, the partners who, who sort of are part owners of, yeah. of, of the office. Uh, you'll so be you sitting side by side with them doing work. 
So you really did get a real taste of what it would be like to kind of be in their positions too. Yeah, in a sense. Yeah, and, you, and you're traveling with them. You're staying in hotels with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're getting to know a little bit about their personal lives and their family lives and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's a good point. I think I think unlike a lot of other kind of corporate roles, you're getting a very, very intimate, intense, like hands-on uh, exposure to the life of a of someone who's senior in that role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so was it, um, was it like the, what kind of, how, how did that kind of lead into your depression or were you, mm. were you dealing with that before you went there? Do you think? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. It, it's funny. I, you know, so I was recruiting for this role in the fall of 2011 and I was just wrapping up my degree. I'd, t- I'd taken a couple of extra online courses just to be eligible to enter this sort of mentorship program that I was part of to get the job. Okay. So I was, out, I was you know, flying out to Toronto, doing these interviews with all these different firms. And then I landed the job with BCG around November and they gave me a signing bonus. They gave me, you know, a few thousand dollars just mm-hmm. to say, you know, thanks. We're excited for you to join us. Mm-hmm. You don't have to start till September of 2012. So I had nine months and a bunch of money in my pocket <laughs> yeah. and no more school. And I thought, oh God, like this is a perfect opportunity to travel. So mm-hmm. I, I jumped off and went on a, a trip to Central America and then came back and went to Europe for a while. I was, I was gone for about four months on my mm-hmm. own. And um, I remember like, especially on the second half of the trip in Europe, I'm sort of backpacking through Mediterranean Europe, Portugal, Spain. Uh, you know, a lot of quiet time, a lot of alone time, a lot of time just sitting on trains, mm-hmm. uh, reflecting, journaling. And uh, I remember a lot of anxiety building. I remember thinking about the future and where I was going and really, uh, yeah, just feeling worried. <laughs> this anxiety just starting to build, you know, what, was I going to be any good at this? Mm-hmm. Is this what I really wanted? What am I doing again? Like, what is my, what job did I just get signed up for? Like, I started to kind of question everything. Mm-hmm. I just had so much space and so much free time, so much alone time. Um, so that was a sign. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of building before you went. You were just second guessing it all. I think so. Just a little bit and, and doubting my, starting to doubt myself a little bit and, you know, it's a very competitive field to get into a lot mm-hmm. of like, you know, well, it is a lot of time to think about it too. Mm-hmm. If you would have got the job and had to go right in the next week, you don't really have much time. You're kind of, I think the excitement would, at, at that time you had enough time to be excited for a few weeks and then have it wear off and be like, okay, well, what actually is this? Right. Whereas you weren't going from excitement right into the position and right. getting thrown into it. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, yeah. So, you know, and so I got out there and it was just a whirlwind. Like right away you get flown down to, I think, Chicago and we spent mm-hmm. a week, you know, you're living in a hotel, kind of like you will be when you're actually doing the casework. Mm-hmm. But we're living in Chicago for the first week and you're just doing training. Mm-hmm. You're going into the Chicago office, meeting people there, doing some pretty intensive training, learning about the job. Um, meeting all sorts of people, like everyone from that region sort of flow in, flew in and you got to got to meet your extended colleagues from different offices it was super exciting again you're going out at night like all expenses paid partying Mm -hmm. and drinking and you know having fun 
coming into the office the next morning, totally hungover. Like you're starting <laughs> to get a bit of a feel for what the culture could be like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there wasn't much time to doubt anything there. It was just like, just doing it. You're just doing it. You're just in kind of in the zone. Um, but then you kind of come back to Toronto and you, I got assigned to my first case. I think I was working in Montreal actually for my first mm. case. So that means, uh, you know, Sunday morning you start to pack your little carry on suitcase and all your stuff and, um, take the, take a taxi out to the airport in the afternoon, get on a plane, land at around eight or 9 PM, check into your hotel, have a meal in your, you know, room service in your Mm -hmm. hotel room, start to, you know, I'd feel a bit of that anxiety build about the case, you know, Mm -hmm. what are we going to be doing tomorrow? What's our client going to be like? A lot of questions. And then you work from Monday till Thursday, pretty intensively. You know, at night you're in, you're in your hotel room and there's not much else to do but keep working on the project. Yeah. Um, and then Thursday night you fly back to your home city, in my case, Toronto. Mm-hmm. Work from the Toronto office on Friday, take Saturday off, slash deal with a whole bunch of emails and stuff yeah. that's coming through. And then Sunday, pack up, Go head back. off again. And I think after a few months of that was when I, I started to really notice that like I kind of came out of autopilot a bit, sobered up a bit, mm-hmm. you know, not like I, I wasn't totally abusing alcohol at the time, but I definitely was drinking way more than I do now. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I just, you kind of get that feeling of like, okay, wait a minute, something doesn't feel right here. Uh, and I think that's probably three, four, five months in is when mm-hmm. I really started to realize like my mindset and the way that I was just experiencing day-to-day life was um, there was dis-ease. <laughs> I was not at ease at that point. No. Um, and, and it took some time. I think it kept kind of dipping down until I really hit a, a bit of a bottom that I really realized like, wow, like I need to, I need to make a change here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for the, uh, the kind of like dis-ease and being with those kind of, you know, I don't know, those kind of people doesn't really <laughs> say, I don't know what that really means, but, um, did I, did you feel like you fit in with them or mm-hmm. did you feel like you were trying to fit in, like taking part in some of the drinking mm-hmm. and things like that? Cause I know a lot of times people just do that because they feel like they have to, yeah. to fit in or, you know, get the job they want or that kind of sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you feel like that or were you actually like enjoying it? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, like most (laughs) things, it's probably a mix, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, part of me was excited. Part of me, you know, was having fun Mm -hmm. um, for sure. Definitely was like, um, and and I'd come from university where I had a ton of fun. (laughs) I was very social. Uh, And that was actually part of what was so um, perplexing about when, when I really realized, okay, something is going on and I need help was I'd become so antisocial and I was starting to push people away and avoid social situations. Um, and I was comparing that to my, my past life in university. when I was this happy go lucky, very outgoing, very social person, I was, I was game for any Mm -hmm. social event or conference or anything where I could be around people. Um, so I think that that part of me allowed me to sort of access and enjoy the, part of the culture in this firm. Um, 
but then there was, I think, equal parts going kind of like, I don't know if I fit in. I don't know if I'm cut out for this. I don't mm-hmm. know if this is what I want long term. Um, one thing that's just coming to mind is like we'd be going, we'd be flying to Montreal. We're staying at the W Hotel, one of the nicest hotels in the city. Um, all expenses paid, of course. You're going out to the fanciest restaurants. <laughs> and the conversations that are occurring around me are like, Oh, it was better last time or, um, you know, like, Oh, they're getting so stingy in the hotels these days with, you know, what they leave for you on the bed or, you know, like, yeah, it was very a lot judgmental, of, very judgmental, it. very complaining. Nothing was enough. Um, it, the, the energy and the conversations with the, with, you know, not all of them, but, but a lot of these conversations, like I was on one hand going like, Holy shit, this is crazy. Like, I was like a kid in the candy shop, mm-hmm. just taking in all the luxuries of this lifestyle. <laughs> but then everyone else is kind of going, eh, like it could be better. And I think that's when my sort of materialistic paradigm was first like really challenged. So, mm-hmm. You know, I was just like, wow, if that's where this is all going, like nothing is enough. Uh, like I, 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 I want to go back to, wonder i want to mm-hmm. go back to that space where we're, we're talking about how amazing life is and how much more amazing it could get but like from a place of abundance and excitement and joy and appreciation mm-hmm. like that was that was a hallmark way of being i think with my close friends at the end of university was like life is amazing we are so lucky mm-hmm. life is a gift <laughs> um, let's make the most of this let's celebrate what we have and i really felt like i was shifting into this space of there isn't enough um, I am not enough. Um, you know, it could be better mm-hmm. and, and just a lot of judgment. And, and I think that was a, that was something that I was really present to and, and started to kind of worry about. Mm-hmm. Like, am I becoming one of these materialistic, like business people <laughs> that, that just wants more? Yeah. Well, it's cool that you are actually kind of like aware of that. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of people just kind of get sucked into it and don't even realize what happens. And then all of a sudden you're, 40 and complaining about everything and yeah. you don't even know yeah. what's going on yeah. then uh, the interesting thing is you can ping pong to the other side and be like i don't want anything yeah and money is useless and you know peace and love is all we need and <laughs> yeah. the world will be happy and then that kind of has its limitations as well mm-hmm. um, and so i think i definitely went through a phase where i was just rejecting all of life's wonder yeah. uh, you know like some of these material things that actually can be great tools and mm-hmm. just things to enjoy like there's nothing wrong with money yeah but i almost started to villainize money and see it as this kind of sleazy evil thing mm-hmm. and that obviously brought challenges in the, in the <laughs> realm of wealth and money with it uh, but i see that a lot like we people ping-ponging kind of back oh, and yeah. forth between these extreme beliefs about things um, so I, th- I think I went through a phase as I started to realize just how jaded some of these people were that I was working with uh, and how jaded I was starting to become. I kind of just flipped to the other end and went, oh, I don't need any of this to be happy. Um, yeah. Yeah. I see a lot of that um, both ways and coming back to the middle. I feel like I've sort of done the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I th- maybe everybody goes through it at some point. Yeah, it's almost like the bumpers in a bowling lane. Yeah. Kind of ping pong back and forth to sort of try and find some sort of equilibrium in the middle or some sort of greater understanding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I guess back to the l- little bit of the depression stuff. Mm. How, so what that first started kicking in, um, I guess you started second guessing your role there or being there. Um, when you first reached out to somebody, who was it? 
Mm. Like, how did you first reach out and that, uh, how did you go about doing that? Who was it? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, the first, technically the first person I reached out to was my dad. He's a psychiatrist and a psychotherapist. Mm. And oddly, I didn't reach out saying like, Hey dad, can you, can you help me? Can you talk to me? Um, and he, I mean, he knew that I was going through something and, and he was offering support and, and just by calling and, and kind of trying to create space. But mm-hmm. he, you know, the, I didn't make an explicit request for his help, but I did reach out to him and I said, Hey, can you send me that old computer program that you showed me back in high school? And my dad had found a piece of software called Overcoming Depression that was built in 1991. Mm-hmm. It was an MS-DOS-based program. It ran on, you know, pre-Windows operating systems. I think the computers <laughs> didn't have mice back then. Old, old, old school computers. And, and, and he had shown me this program, and, and what he loved about it most was that you could actually talk with it. You could type your thoughts, like a journal, and it would analyze what you wrote, and then it would ask you a question back. And it was trained, this AI to be really interested in emotions and thoughts, kind mm-hmm. of like a therapist would be. Um, and he had shown that to me in high school because he was just so amazed by it, obviously, as a psychiatrist. He thought it was like a breakthrough. And I remember in high school, I was like, this is stupid. Yeah. You know, because it, it ran on DOS. It was a bright blue background with yellow f- computer, like old school computer font. And it, it, it wasn't that intelligent. It made mistakes. And I would yeah. sort of mess with it and swear and try and like <laughs> fuck with it. And yeah. it didn't get it. And I was like, oh, this is just stupid. And it was called overcoming depression. And, mm-hmm. and in high school, I was kind of like, well, that's not me. Like, I don't want to even associate with that. Yeah. I think I was stigmatizing it. But then obviously fast forward six, seven, eight years, I, I'd remembered it somehow. And I asked him to send me the file. So he sent me a two megabyte executable file by email that's how old this program was it was so tiny and 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 basic and i booted it up in a dos emulator on my macbook Mm -hmm. and you know macbook with a retina display like this this old school program is this tiny little box (laughs) in the middle of my in the middle of my brand new computer and it started by saying you know welcome you're not alone you're not the only person that's struggling with your emotions and your feelings. In fact, and you know, and it shared stats about mental mm. health and depression and anxiety in the United States because it was an American program. Uh, but, but it just opened up by saying, hey, you're not alone and good on you for endeavoring to explore this. I'm like, great. And, and so right away, I was like, yeah, okay, <laughs> I'll keep going. Like, I feel good. Um. And then it, it kind of explained itself and it basically said, hey, this is a this is a program with two features. One is we're going to go through several lessons, kind of like a self-help book, where we're going to talk about theory around how the mind works, how emotions work, and, and just sort of drop some new knowledge that you can try on and explore and experiment with. Meanwhile, as we go through those eight lessons, within each chapter there's going to be a conversational chatbot that you can talk to. Now, it's not meant to replace a therapist. Mm -hmm. It's not even meant to replace a normal human conversation. It's sort of a unique form of interaction that you can think of more like a mirror. You're talking with yourself, but this program is just providing some prompts, some questions, and some words of encouragement. Mm -hmm. If it makes mistakes, that's to be expected. It's a computer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Just keep going. You know, let it know it made a mistake and it'll redirect and kind of reset and you can keep going. Mm -hmm. 
And over time, you'll learn how to use this thing. It's a tool, much like learning any skill that takes practice. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, this is interesting. So I started reading the content, and it was based in a thing called cognitive behavioral therapy, which has become like a pretty common yeah, it is very common now treatment for for depression and anxiety. Um, so we could talk tons about that, but like one of the basic constructs within CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy is that our thoughts and our feelings and our actions or behaviors are sort of all interconnected. And what we think about reality will influence how we feel about it and how we're feeling will influence how we act. And they're all sort of in informing each other. And a lot of what um, we can struggle with when we're experiencing depression or anxiety is all these things are kind of spinning around and, and kind of melded together. And it's just kind of chaotic and overwhelming. And we don't realize kind of what is going on in our minds and how our thoughts might be influencing our feelings. So a lot of CBT is just about slowing down, externalizing your thoughts, trying to write down, literally write down what you're thinking about a certain situation mm-hmm. um, that makes you feel a strong emotion and then questioning or sort of examining that thought for its validity. You know, is, is what I'm thinking true mm-hmm. or is it, am I blowing it a bit out of proportion or, or is it just completely wrong? Sometimes we have these beliefs that when we actually look at them, they're just totally wrong. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, they've been nested into our into our psyches. And they're, they're, the grooves are so deep that we just keep mm-hmm. living life believing that I'm no good. Or <laughs> yeah. believing that I'll never be able to start a podcast. Or yeah. my voice sounds weird. Like, we just have these <laughs> strong beliefs that might totally be influencing how we're, how we're experiencing reality. Mm-hmm. So just that theory kind of like gave me pause. I was like, holy shit, wait a minute. What am I thinking mm-hmm. about my life? And so I started writing down things. It's like, I'm no good at my job. Um, I'm not meant to be here was a thought I had. I'm not meant to be at BCG. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a powerful thought. <laughs> yeah. If you deeply believe you're not meant to be somewhere, like that is definitely, that was definitely influencing how I showed up at work every day. I believed mm-hmm. that I was not supposed to be there. So of course... I show up, I'm kind of insecure, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a bit afraid, I'm, I'm doubting myself, I'm, I'm worried what my next mistake is going to be. All I'm thinking about yeah. is the negative side of things. Um, so a bunch of other thoughts, and I was like, okay, this is super exciting, where is this going to go? And then boom, at the end of the first chapter, the chatbot appears and says, hi, what's on your mind? Kind of like Facebook in the in the status update, I think it says, oh, what's on your mind? Yeah, like prompts you now. Yeah, Um but this is like, what's on your mind? I'm here to listen and I'm not going to judge you. And you're not publishing it to the world and you don't have to worry about what other people think. This is the one place where you can genuinely share what's on your mind and not worry about what the world's going to say. Mm-hmm. <sighs> right? like I feel that right now that that was a breath of fresh air. This is a space where some something is listening and I'm still kind of skeptical because it's a computer. Yeah. But I know it's an offline file. It's on my hard drive. It's not in Dropbox. No one's going to ever see this. I can delete it as soon as I'm done. Mm -hmm. What is on my mind? You know, (laughs) I just start to type like what is on my mind? I, I, I should be happy. I have everything. And I'm not. I should be happy and I'm not. That was one of the first, I've got a screenshot from one of my first sessions with this thing. Really? I should be happy and I'm not. 
that was kind of where I started. It was the first thing I said to it. And then it asked me something back. And I went, oh, there's more, like, this keeps going. It's not over. This reflection's not done. And then I wrote something back. And then it wrote back. And, then, and we just kept going back and forth. And it was just this beautiful dialogue mm-hmm. that started to open up. And right away, I felt a little bit of relief. You know, it was more like a lift. I felt a little more up. Um, and then it sort of pauses you and says, okay, now let's go to chapter two. You're doing great. Keep learning. And it kind of just progressed through this learning journey. Um, and uh, like I said, I, you know, I immediately felt a little bit of a lift. It didn't solve all my problems no. by any means. But it, it, I felt a little bit of a lift. And I think one of the huge um, takeaways that came from that was like, wow, if, if having a conversation with a computer can make me feel this way, and help me see my life from a different perspective and, and, and liberate a little bit of this pent up energy so I can take some sort of healthy action. Like what could be possible if I met a therapist mm-hmm. you know, or talk to a coach? Yeah. So that was, that was, I think my 10 minute <laughs> answer to your question. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even remember what you asked, but that, that's You're the of, first person you reached out that's to. That's the first person we reached out to was yeah. my dad, a computer via my dad. Yeah that inspired me to then, and then it it became much easier. I mean, I started Googling motivation help Toronto or, Mm -hmm. you know, why am I depressed Toronto trying to get something, something, you know, I I knew I wanted a person in the local area Mm -hmm. and then that led me into therapy. And I I started doing a more kind of psychodynamic type of of therapy out in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And and it just became, that was the platform for where everything has kind of gone since then. And, And now I'm, you know, it's a completely different perspective now. I, I love this stuff. I love yeah. talking. I love therapy. I love coaching. I love, I mean, I think it's just such a, it's such a beautiful, beautiful type of relationship that we can have as humans. And, um, there's, it can be so catalytic. It can be so powerful. Um, and, and I'm a, yeah, a huge fan and, and, yeah. and I endorse this kind of stuff because it's made such a difference in my life and, and a lot of other people that not only that I work with, but other people that have gotten coaching and therapy through, through other means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's pretty cool how like a program built from 1991 <laughs> was enough to, um, you know, kind of shift your perspective a little bit, uh, enough yeah. to want to get help and reach out more. Um, yeah, that's, that's a, I don't know. I was, that's not what I was expecting. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. It's a unique story for sure. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the, I mean, that, that would, that was very much the inspiration for open dialogue and, mm-hmm. and, and the, the direction we took things, my father and I actually started building a more modern version of that software. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy that created overcoming depression passed away oh, in, okay. in 2000 and the project never really got its legs. Um, it was, it was being studied at UCLA mm-hmm. in the hospital there. Um, but it never really got legs. So my dad and I were inspired to kind of create our own modern version, something that was accessible on mobile devices. And mm-hmm. um, that was kind of the genesis of open dialogue. Okay. The, the software that we ended up building, which is which is essentially the the conversational chatbot component of that, mm-hmm. um, but it's now accessible, you know, wherever you are, whenever you are, kind of thing with the power of the internet. It yeah. just wasn't available back when the first one was built. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's yeah. As soon as you come, I say, okay, so yeah, this definitely must have been the idea of where you guys got that from. Yeah, it was a huge source of inspiration for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's cool that you took it. Um, under your own hands to keep it going and build something newer than that um, it, yeah. that people can use. 
there was a need like yeah because I, like i said I, I didn't solve everything that day no. that i talked to it it's been a, it's been a journey of growth up until this day literally i had a, a conversation with my coach yesterday that just shattered some some deeply embedded beliefs that i had about a certain thing mm-hmm. you know so i'm still learning i'm still growing um i don't expect that to stop i, I don't want it to um but but um that, yeah, I think that experience that I just described was like the beginning of that journey and opening up to the possibility of, of growth. Um, yeah, I'm really I, thankful for what I'm. I think uh, with that program, it's it's nice because if you're going to sit there, like you in your first time when you used it, if you were to just open up a blank notepad, mm-hmm. um, even that could be daunting because yeah. you're kind of just looking at it like, where do I start? What am I supposed to write? Whereas even just having that little um, chat bot to prompt you to ask something or even just giving you that little bit of comfort prior to writing uh, and then giving you a small prompt, uh, you know, it starts you small and then you kind of just build into it and it can help you do that. Uh, mm-hmm. Especially if you're scared to reach out. As I feel like people can go through that phase where they're, they they just want to do it themselves because they're nervous to reach out. Um but that is kind of like a nice middle ground where it yeah. helps you by yourself get used to kind of talking to something yeah. or someone, yeah. and then it might make it easier to oh, make that. Sure. It's like a nice little middle step or something. You yeah. can still use it basically forever, but yeah. I think it's, it's a, a good starting point for mm-hmm. sure. A good entry point. Comforting no, for people maybe. Yeah. And, and there's, you're speaking to something too about like comfort reaching out and, and, and trying to do things on your own. And that, that hits home so strongly for me. I, like I vividly remember thinking before I did reach out, I can do this on my own. Mm-hmm. I, I, like, I want to, and I almost need to, I, I have to figure this out on my own. I don't want anybody's help. And, 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 you know, to this whole point of like, who am I and how can I help you mm-hmm. as a 30 year old, you know, yeah. help you with your life. It's like, I was like, no one can help. No one knows me. And I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. Like I had these very strong beliefs that I had to be self-sufficient. And I think that's like a bit of a story. It's certainly a story that, it's probably for men and women, but I, I certainly think with, with men, we have this belief that we have to be self-sufficient. We have to, you know, be able to provide. We mm-hmm. have to, we have to figure all out on our own in order to be accepted and to be celebrated in society. The sort of, you know, the, 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 that, that central strong man yeah. figure in the family has been just, you know, slammed down our throats since the day we were born in our culture. And, I'm starting to ask myself, like, what is the cost of that way of living and that and believing that, you know, and, and, and clearly the cost is millions and millions of men that are not getting the help that they need mm-hmm. that they could, that could end up helping them become more self-sufficient. Yeah. If they were able to admit and, 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 and accept and be open to getting help. Um, it, it's such a, a paradox or a misunderstanding, I think, of this path. But uh, I certainly was struggling with that for a long time is like. I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the crazy thing about, especially my approach to this and a lot of people I've worked with is I don't tell, I don't tell you what to do. You know, I listen and create a space. I ask t- powerful questions and difficult questions and, you know, sometimes get in your face <laughs> yeah. and call you out. I hold up a mirror for you. But the reality is like, I don't know what you need to do. Mm-hmm. There's so many unique aspects about your life. And a big part of it is you kind of figuring out what is your path. Mm-hmm. Um, through this kind of reflective experience. So 
yeah, I, w- I was worried about being told what to do, but in the end, like no one's really told me what to do. They offer suggestions at times, but mm-hmm. a lot more of it is actually helping surface the, the, the truth that I already know about what I need to do next mm-hmm. and then holding me accountable to actually making it happen. Well, that would sort of ties into, well, that is, yeah, basically ties into one of the other questions um, that I get a lot is people will say, okay, well, what does he tell you to do? Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, he doesn't really tell me to do anything. <laughs> like, well, then how, like, what do you mean? So and it's hard mm-hmm. for me to explain that exactly how you said that, I'm like, I don't know. He can just pull shit out of me that I don't even know is there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very hard to do on your own. Um, you know, I, I don't go in and just get this task list of you need to do this with your life. It's really um, just helping you make those own decisions. And yeah, like you said, surface things that are obviously not surfaced. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. In a weird way, I'm going to compare myself to the computer for a mm-hmm. second. But like, or a good book, like, it's like it doesn't matter how old someone is or um i mean i mean even like what are their credentials what's their li- what's their life experience it's w- in the world of like mentorship where you know maybe i've done something or accomplished something and you want to follow in my footsteps and accomplish those same things it's really important that i've actually done those things so mm-hmm. i can i can give you the cheat code sort of so to speak and and help you on that path expedite you on that path towards you know, if you wanted to get a job in management consulting, I could mentor you on that really well because mm-hmm. I know all the steps to getting there. And I've done that for dozens of people since then. Like I'm a mentor. That's a role of a mentor. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing about coaching that, that's different is, again, it's since I'm not telling people the specific steps, I'm instead helping draw out of them their own ability to choose their, their own, their own capacity for choice to choose their own path forward. Um, I could be 12 years old. And if I had this, this powerful capacity to listen and ask good questions and kind of play back, mm-hmm. you know, in fact, if I was 12 years old, I might even be a better coach because <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't hold back. You yeah. know, when, when you're younger, you just don't have any inhibition and, mm-hmm. and, and you will just say things, you know, you don't care what people think about what you say. You know, that's, I think, you know, just like a good book or I was going to say a computer program, it'll, it just reflects back at you mm-hmm. the way in which you're showing up in the world. And, and, and when you sort of come to a coach with goals and a vision of where you want to take things and, and how you want to change your life, you've got that on one hand. And then the coach is just reflecting back at you. Well, how are you currently going after that? What are you doing? What are you saying? What are you thinking? How have you structured your life in pursuit of that desired outcome? And just by reflecting back your approach, you start to see, okay, that's not really helping me, <laughs> you know, like, and, and, and I don't want to share too much about anything personal from the mm-hmm. work we're doing, but so let me know if I'd cross any sort of lines here. Okay. But like, you know, I remember early on there was, there was, um, you know, our metaphor was um, the Energizer Bunny. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so you, you had this, you know, these ambitions and, and, and a lot of it was around a felt way of being working with stress and working with anxiety. And yet you had this way of going about living that was very frenetic, very high paced, very like just constantly putting more and more and more tasks on your list. And and so we called you sort of the energizer Mm -hmm. bunny because you were succeeding at that. You could just keep adding more. Like it was impressive (laughs) how much you were able to get done and put on your list. 
But the cost of that was, you know, you were missing out on doing the things that were most important. You were exhausting yourself at a certain point and running out of capacity. Um, there were, there were all, all these costs to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people fall into that category of just like, do, 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 do. If I do more, um, I'll be able to get to where I want to go. If I, you know, can go to bed earlier, wake up super early and get into the office earlier, I'll be able to have an extra two hours and I can do more. And, and mm-hmm. we just can't, we keep thinking we need to do more in order to get to where we want to go. Um, but in a lot of cases, it's actually costing us in our ability to focus on what really matters in our ability to rest and rejuvenate so that we have a sustainable source of energy to really do well mm-hmm. and do intelligently. There's a whole bunch of like downsides to, to living that way. Um, but you you got to see that as I just kind of held up the mirror, mm-hmm. and, and we kind of used a bit of a metaphor that you that was you know you were able to almost picture this mm-hmm. this bunny kind of going crazy, going hard. Um, it's almost like visualizing your own life a little mm-hmm. bit, like being able to put those images and things to it. Uh, I find that useful, um, and just like diagrams and and writing stuff out. I mean, even even just the basics of writing out what you're doing in your life right now and looking at it all on a piece of paper can even that alone can be super helpful. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And then questions, you know, I'm asking questions and and then you're going home and asking those same questions to yourself Mm -hmm. over and over again, writing about them, you know, slowing down and actually reflecting on these powerful questions and watching what emerges. Like you're developing the capacity to coach yourself Mm -hmm. throughout that work. And, 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 and that's, that's kind of an exciting thing as well is you're developing new capacities that you can then take with you. And then those are no longer needed in the coaching relationship. And we can slowly start to insert new things and start to develop new capacities. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's another thing that I'm loving about the coaching I'm receiving as well is like, and I fall back into old patterns, of course, like we all do. Right. <laughs> yeah. But over time, those things start to become more ingrained and habituated into my way of thinking and living and then that just frees up room in the coaching program to start to look at other stuff and kind of take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of a, a beautiful, I think, uh, kind of phenomenon that occurs in this kind of work. Yeah. Uh, I, another um, thing that comes up from mm-hmm. that, because um, there you're kind of speaking to your, you know, about you having a mentor as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked about this with, well, a friend of mine, um, brought it up about if you're helping people um is it bad to post that you're still getting help and going through Mm. things um you know where a lot some of these people will act like they know it all and you need to do their course or or Mm. their thing and that's the thing um but do you find that sharing that you're still learning with your uh, you know other clients um do people take well to that or do they expect you to know the things or whatever they're looking for. Yeah. Um, do you find that affects anything? Yeah, I wonder, like, I wonder what people think. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe you, you don't know. because You lo- never know, right? Yeah. You know, it's like Ram Dass. You know Ram Dass? Mm-hmm. I watched his documentary. Yeah, that was, a, that was a powerful one, eh? Yeah, it was good. So he passed away recently, just this past month. And up until the day, you know, he passed pretty much, he was talking about stuff that he was still learning and still working on. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, he, he would say like life, life is the curriculum. We're here to learn. We're here to grow. And, um, yeah, I, I can't imagine what life would be like if I had it all figured out. Yeah. I, I, you know, there's something about just the learning, the, the feeling of progress and expansion, experiencing growth that just feels so good that I, 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 I don't know. I don't even think I would want to be able to say I have it all figured out. You know no. what I mean? Um, um, so yeah, I, I definitely don't. And I'm, I, I try and share as often as I can um, to the extent it's helpful in, in individual coaching conversations as well as more publicly on, you know, social media mm-hmm. or stuff that I write. Um, yeah, the extent to which I am still working on things. Um, Cause and, I think that's important. And as you, yeah, as you do that, really you just kind of move up the self-development ladder of people that you're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, really, yeah. I guess too, you start to meet people who are more maybe advanced or need more advanced help as you advance through certain areas as well. Yeah. And I, then some of those people can take in behind you or however it goes. I think it's, I, I absolutely think you're right. I think it's part of the, the collective growth process that we're all going through our whole, mm. our whole culture and society is, is growing in consciousness. We are, we are slowly <laughs> getting evolving there. and getting there. There's so much happening. I mean, there's a, there's a great book called um, abundance and it's not, it's less about like abundance and manifestation and, and getting rich and stuff like that. It's much more about um, citing a whole bunch of different examples from around the world of how the world is improving and mm-hmm. how great, you know, how many great, developments there are because you go into the news if we turn on yeah. cnn on your computer right now yeah it would just it's all red i mean their branding is all red it's, yeah. it's this sort of fearful rage color and it's just breaking news all the time and it's all negative it's all um really upsetting scary stuff mm-hmm. and not to say that it's not there aren't terrible things happening around the world mm-hmm. but it is totally out of balance with the great things that are happening it's always the focuses on the negative stuff. It's all the focus on the negative stuff. It, 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 it ignites this sort of fearful energy within us. And when we're in a fearful state, we are much more apt to be controlled and manipulated by other mm-hmm. people. We're seeking, you know, a resolution to our problems. And so we're, we're willing to kind of listen and we're willing to buy and we're willing to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you read a book like Abundance and, and you're kind of going, holy shit, like look at the progress we've made on world hunger so far and disease and violence. Like, we are progressing as a society and, and that's so important to acknowledge and to bring more energy to that so that we can keep working on it because mm-hmm. we're not done either, yeah. right? And so I think that at a, like a, the most macro scale, looking at the world and how much positivity and how much development is happening and focusing on that and trying to feed into that and support that, you can bring that right down to the most micro level at your own life mm-hmm. and say, look how much is happening. And not like just positive thinking and ignore the fact that I'm depressed or I'm anxious or I'm struggling or I'm not making money or whatever it is, but balancing all of that with deliberately focusing on what is working. Mm-hmm. We have a roof over our shoulder, over our heads right now. You know, we've got fresh drinking water. My mouth is a bit parched. <laughs> we have this incredible technological apparatus that is, I mean, this is amazing, by the way, what you've created here. This is so cool. <laughs> this is so much more um, professional and, 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 you know, legit than I thought. <laughs> um, you know, we're well fed. Like, like, you, like you know, and, and we're both making progress in our lives. Mm-hmm. We both have been through challenges. 
and we have our ups and downs and we still feel our setbacks at times, but we are making so much progress in our life. I mean, your story is incredible mm-hmm. how far you've come in the last few years. Oh yeah. What, what else do we have to be grateful for? That's a question. What are you grateful for? Oh, um, I find that hard to answer a lot of times. Um, but the same things, I mean, when I think about or watch, you know, I do a lot of research about food and, mm-hmm. and health and that kind of thing. And, you know, grateful for the stuff that we have here that we're able to have in Canada, mm-hmm. all the, the quality of the food that we have, especially even just compared to the U.S., the way things can be, you know, that are have to be grown here mm-hmm. um, and the landscape and everything that we have, the amount of room, um, you know, we're not living in China crammed into all these crazy cities. Mm-hmm. We have the nature and everything around us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something I like to spend a lot of time in. Um for family, the water. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. But it can be hard to, I hear you saying like, that's a hard question sort of, cause depending on the state of mind you're in, it's, mm-hmm. it's maybe not as natural to, to go to those kind of things. It's like, well, there still are a lot of things about the way we grow food that are totally limited and, oh, yeah. and, and not serving <laughs> us. Right? No. And the access to information about how important it is to consume certain foods. Like there are so many shortcomings i think Mm -hmm. that it's hard sometimes to not just be like what like this is ridiculous um i also overthink it a lot too where sometimes you know like i'm grateful to have a car but like like why maybe i you know i don't shouldn't really need a car or then sometimes i get mm, into that kind of aspect mm. of the extreme where you kind of talked about the hippie don't need anything life right where i'm like well there's tons of people living without a car you know cars are polluting i shouldn't be driving Mm. this i should be doing i should take my bike every day but Mm. I don't know. Sometimes it's also not realistic to um, achieve other goals that can help people more drastically than trying to save the fumes right now. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they can be a lot of back and forth and extreme um, thoughts yeah. around that. Yeah. Yeah. And again, back to writing, back to talking. It's like when we're all on our own and just in our heads, there are so many of those types of thoughts mm-hmm. that can be hard to wrestle them down. And then no progress is made. And yet, there are all these kind of judging, kind of confused thoughts. But the moment you sit down with a pen and paper or into a, a you know an appropriate conversation, it can just help to tease out those thoughts, lock them down, look at them and decide, okay, do I what do I want to do about this? Mm-hmm. You know, this situation with the car, I shouldn't be driving. It's like, okay, well, first of all, is that true? I should not be driving <laughs> a car. Yeah. You could even ask that question, meditate on that for a little bit let alone, okay, once you get to some conclusion about that belief, how do I want to act on it now? Mm-hmm. Do I want to sell my car? Do I want to buy a Tesla? Do I, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you can start to build a plan from there, but so long as it's just swarming in our heads, it's really hard to, to actually take conscious action. Yeah, even the other day I was driving and I had to do the brakes on my car. And I something I always talk about is the air quality. And I wonder like, what would it, what would the air like taste or feel like breathing if you were to go back like 2000 years, Mm. you know, if you got Mm. transported and all of a sudden you stepped outside or you would probably always be outside, but, um, how like you, there, I'm I'm sure there would be a drastic difference if you were brought from then to now and Mm. just took a one breath of air. Mm. Um, and for some reason, the brake pads came into my mind because they wear down into a dust that goes all into the air and the the earth. And I thought like, how many pairs of brake pads dust is in the air <laughs> and all over the world right now? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was just thinking about it. I was like, holy shit, like 
just a lot of like weird things like that that come into mind. I'm like, oh my god, like there's a problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but am I going to be able to build brake pads that don't harm people for all these cars? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, just like having those thoughts sometimes. I'm like, holy shit, yeah. it can you can build it into something really drastically negative very fast. Right. Or you can work with it. And mm-hmm. like what I love about what, I mean, what you're doing here is this, this is a, a flower that has sort of grown out of your interests, your concerns for the world <laughs> and for your community and your beliefs about what's possible and, and sort of your story and your growth story, this whole podcast and, and a lot of what you're working on these days is has been born from you having a lot of these questions, mm-hmm. a lot of these frustrations, I know, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and, and like, you know, this is fucking crazy. We need to change. And it's, it's, you found a way to channel that energy into something productive mm-hmm. that is making a difference. Right. And so I think there's someone out there, hopefully someone listening to this, that hears that brake pad story and they're like, yeah, I actually know something about that industry. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, and what, what is the latest research and, and what are, what are the latest developments in that, in that industry? And, you know, maybe that's something I want to start working on because it, it, it lights me up. Mm-hmm. Like there's people out there that are, there's tons of people out there. And this comes back to that abundance book. There are millions and millions and millions of people that are frustrated and, and, and realize, you know, that things need to change and they're doing something about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so inspiring. No matter what scale we're doing it at, we all have the opportunity to choose to live our lives in a way that is supporting like positive development and, and yes, finding a way to be okay with the fact that there's a bunch of shitty stuff that is still happening. Um, and, and, you know, looking, you know, doing our best possible to sort of support those things or not do too much damage. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's just being more and more conscious. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely can't fix it all. If you try and do that, it's far too overwhelming. Yeah. And if you, and if you do get overwhelmed then that might, you know, you might burn out or just get totally stuck and then you're not doing anything. So I Mm -hmm. think there's something to say for starting small, picking one thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and then being vocal about it and asking for help. It comes back to your thing about, you know, coaches or therapists having it all figured out versus, you know, sharing, sharing where their limitations might be or their challenges might be. It's like, I think by speaking out about the things that we are still trying to figure out, we invite in help Mm -hmm. and insight and guidance and encouragement from other people. I think being vulnerable in that way is a way of inviting in support. Mm -hmm. And if we're, I think the same thing goes for like when you identify these, um, sort of aspects of life that are subpar that could be better. I think it's great to talk about them and try and inspire other people to, um, you know, you know, orient their lives around making them better. I think, Mm -hmm. I think think it's great to talk about that kind of stuff and, and share where there are issues. Um, help everybody kind of work together. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I can't really do it all. Yeah. You know, if, if if everyone starts taking apart in certain areas, it'll all slowly build Absolutely. Um, together into something. Yeah. And when you see people taking their part, encourage them. When you see someone part, starting a podcast, celebrate them. Like, share it with the people that might be interested. I think there's, you're right. We gotta, we gotta, we all have to play our part, and um, we're all on the same team. Mm-hmm. Doesn't always seem like that, <laughs> yeah. but we're all on the same team. We're all heading in the same direction. We're all yeah. following Ram Dass. You know, we're all growing in consciousness and we're all leaving this body at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so how can we team up 
um, and, 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 and make progress together. Yeah. Yeah.